0: You're about to hear a preview of Partially Examined Life supporter-exclusive content. To learn how to get the whole thing, check out PartiallyExaminedLife.com slash support. Hey, this is the Partially Examined Life episode 318, part three, still doing the first part of Friedrich Schiller's On the Aesthetic Education of Man. I'm just here with Wes. Hey, Wes. Hey, Mark. So we wanted to try a different kind of part three. It's been a little hard to schedule with the other guys, so... Let's see how this goes and whether you feel like you're getting the full PL experience. But we're definitely, this was a very hard text. It was pretty lengthy. And as much as I enjoyed having our guest on, it rather distracted from really bearing in and doing the kind of line-by-line stuff that we probably should be doing with this text.
1: Yeah, so where did we, I don't know that we could say we left off anywhere because we did kind of jump around a bit. Where do we need to dive
0: in more? Well, I I would think that given that we're going to have a whole other episode that's probably going to overlap a little bit with the, with the end aesthetic stuff that we should focus on. I think there's plenty of text that we just didn't hit hard enough in the first 12 or whatever, in the first bunch of letters. And in fact, I noticed some things in number one, which mostly we just okay. ignored. The understanding must first destroy the objects of the inner sense before it can appropriate them. Is this...
1: Yeah. It's funny, I in my notes, that's one of the things that I actually wrote down in my notes. Um, Understanding is first to destroy the object of inner reflection if it would really make this object its own, in my translation. Sounds very, is it Hegelian
0: in a sense? (laughs) This is in the context of hey, I'm an artist, I'm going to communicate through feeling as much as through concepts. What does that even mean? I'm writing about aesthetic matters, but you can't talk about the unsayable, right? Like dancing about architecture, as the phrase goes, talking about music, for instance, talking about poetry. So we are going to, by necessity, have to translate some things into concepts, which is going to, by necessity, falsify them to some degree. So the best we can do is, you know, as Wittgenstein points out, you know, like, or maybe he should have pointed out, he, he says you should just remain silent. But you construct these things that point back at I think it's just the phenomenology, It's right? I'm trying to use words to direct you toward your own experience of the ineffable, and then we can both feel like we understand the same ineffable.
1: No, I think that's exactly right. What he's just done in this first letter is he said, he's going to look into beauty, and his investigation is going to rest on Kantian principles, and then he says, and that's going to be necessarily speculative. So he's basically apologizing for the fact you know, he's a poet, he's a playwright, and now he's going to play philosopher. And he's apologizing for the abstractness of what's to come. And what he's saying here is that understanding, which is, you know, you were putting this well, this is the concept making faculty is going to falsify the object itself, right? The concrete object. But hopefully we move on to some other step, right? To some synthesis. So hopefully there's some synthesis of the, of the concept and the particular right and that's what the reflective process will ultimately lead to and that is a right that's the theme in hegel and this is really kind of what the romantics in general are worried about and i mentioned poets as well this is kind of in the air at the time this idea that philosophical reflection goes too far in a sense it gets very abstract and dry and it leaves out the particulars And we're going to remedy that, and we're not going to just remedy that by getting touchy-feely, but we're going to find a way to put the two together. Do philosophy and abstraction without dishonoring the concrete
0: reality. Right. I mean, it sounds very negative here. We're going to seize the fleeting appearance by binding it to the fetters of a rule. We're going to dissect its fair body into abstract notions, preserve its living spirit in a sorry skeleton of words. I really like that. And it just got me thinking of how do we... I mean, we freeze things, right? The individual particular is always going to be richer than the concepts it goes under. But I would think that part of it's also coming up with a causal structure that is maybe not actually in the appearance. He says we're presenting parts when there's only really the whole. So, you know, the whole abstraction. I, I wonder what you thought of that is once you put something into words, he says we bind it in the fetters of a rule, which means that. I don't think that's just subsuming a particular under a concept, or maybe part of subsuming a particular under a concept is the principle of sufficient reason, right that there must be some structure by which it came right. If I just experience a musical note, that's great. But once I say that's a musical note, then what comes with that is someone played it, <laughs> you know somehow it got to me, it is related to others in a scale. there's all these different things at least Schopenhauer gives us four ways that you could be a reason for something, at least one of which is just the brute causal thing.
1: Yeah, you're pointing to the connection between causality and the conceptual, and I think we have gotten into that in some various episodes, because arguably part of what it means to conceptualize things is to think in terms of counterfactuals What would or wouldn't happen if X, Y, or Z did or didn't happen? So not just counterfactuals, but hypotheticals, right? So Mm -hmm. what is it to know that the cat is on the mat? You know, it's not just about giving definite descriptions and blah, blah, blah. It's about, you know, the pragmatist's approach to truth becomes relevant. And in a way, what we grasp are its causal relationships to the world and to us and what would happen if we engaged in various interactions and none of these things you know going to Wittgenstein none of these things are explicitly in our head at the moment we think that we understand something it's all potentiality it's all you know i read the cat is on the mat in the text and i might have a vague image or not but for most concept use right there's not even an image associated with it as i read it so when i grasp it i'm doing something quite abstract so whether we want to think about that in the typical terms of the the Platonic terms of this invisible, visible, right—the thing that in the way that we see, but we don't see, or we or whether we think about it in these more causal terms. So, did you have another idea about what it means to take it under a rule? Because I think the rule stuff is also just about, in plainer terms, you could just talk about the necessary and sufficient conditions of falling under that concept or something like that. But
0: yeah, if you think that's what a concept is—is is having necessary and sufficient conditions, or at least. I guess what I was wondering was, do you even need conceptualization at all? We could just perceive the music, or can we, without conceptualizing? I guess that's sort of a question. In other words, maybe I don't put a word to it. I just hear this melody, and I am not thinking about it. I'm completely focused on the melody, but maybe just to do that and to pick it out from the blooming, buzzing confusion, I'm already bringing in the stuff that the principle of sufficient reason relates to that even if I'm not thinking about that melody must have come from somewhere, (laughs) like, that is a precondition for having that experience. You know, so adding the conceptual stuff, maybe the causality comes in before the concepts.
1: Yeah. No, I think this is a good point because causality, right, will be one of Kant's categories, and these are grounds for the possibility of experience, it's like the glue, right? If it's experience, it's glued together in various ways. If there's no causality, the glue is lacking, and we can't even call that experience. It's still buzzing confusion. So there's those general broad categories, which used to be Aristotelian basic units of Mm -hmm. what it is to be, and then probably will, in a sense, become that again after Hegel. And then there are specific concepts like dog or whatever's happening with the melody. And I think to do specific concepts based on empirical stuff, all of the other categories are implicated, causality, unity, and and et cetera, et cetera. You know, this apology is not ancillary to the piece because this whole thing is about beauty in a way as, as a reconciliation of these two extremes, of the two poles, right? Abstraction and the understanding and all that, and the formal is the way he's going to put it, or the form impulse or drive, and the data or the particulars or the concrete reality, that's the other side of things. And it, you know, temperamentally we can, and I find this in myself, I find this like a actually very true. I struggle with this temperamentally, we can get pulled to one side or the other, right? So you read a lot of philosophy and you find yourself writing, you know, or analytic philosophy and you find yourself writing in this very dry way and tending to cut things up. And then you read some literature or poetry or whatever and you come to appreciate what those things can do that philosophy and analysis cannot do but if you have too much of either side you know on the one side you you might cease to really think about things and then your art does less it can become mere entertainment i think schiller uses that word at some point point. and then on the other hand If you you abstract too much, you lose sight of reality. And one example he gives later on in the text of that is teleology, right? You kind of just try to foist, and we could talk about scholasticism too and all that. You try to foist this artificial thinking on the world and not honor the particular and not even be good scientists, right? Not even collect enough data before you start theorizing about telos and all that. So
0: So I'm wondering if Schiller is despairing here about I'm going to falsify the experience by putting it in the language of philosophy, but I'm not sure. We'll have to see if ultimately philosophy, I think this is what Romanticism is trying to do. Romanticism is trying to make philosophy like the gay science to use apparently what is, I I guess, Schelling's term that Nietzsche took up. One of those guys that apparently... Oh, is it really? Yeah, I think I found that in Hmm. somewhere in one of the things we read that actually, yeah, he took that term. So it, it's funny because the
1: word is joy, joyful, right? right the joyful, joyful science, joyful and, wisdom. And Schiller or, wrote the ode to joy, and I think, yeah. So I associate that word joy with with Schiller in particular. Actually, frolica or something.
0: If that sounds like the kind of thing that you want to hear more about, then please go to partiallyexaminedlife dot slash support. Thanks for listening.